0: and their
2: essential love of justice.
1: Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for May 8, 2020. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there right off the bat. Um, I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome Catherine Smith.
2: Greetings from Atlanta.
1: And welcome, Tim Shiflett.
0: Good evening, sir.
1: All right, excited about tonight's show Um, Our guest is going to be a first-timer on the Kudzu Vine Simon Bazelon, and he writes the blog Out of the Ordinary on Substack And so we're excited to have Simon on the show And additionally, um, Simon actually um, guest-posted on um, Slow and Boring for Matty Iglesias recently So, I mean, Simon's getting a real notoriety out there So we're going to talk some political issues with simon in just a bit but until then uh we've got um not a ton of issues because i don't think you need any a ton this week we've got one really really big issue to start off with that i think could be the defining or one of the defining issues of the 2022 midterms could even impact into future election cycles and that would be the um Scotus brief that was leaked that people Are assuming is a majority Opinion written by Justice Samuel Alito Um, And in that majority ruling He um, Rules in favor of The state of Mississippi And their case versus Dobbs And um, I know A decent amount about it I'm sure Tim does Too but Catherine uh, Since this is an issue that's very close to you I want you to really lay out for our listeners Um you know, kind of what you know about um, this ruling thus far.
2: Well, you know, I think uh, a lot of us, you know, for those who don't know, I, I do uh, work in the uh, reproductive health uh, space. And um, for those of us who've been following this um, case very closely, we were, and after the December, um oral arguments, I think we were all expecting a similar decision. Uh, We weren't sure exactly how it was going to shake out, but I think we all expected an overturn of Roe v. Wade and some pretty – and and I think we got what we were expecting. However, it's always uh, the harsh reality is – is shocking, and it has far reaching um, impact on uh, people who can be who can be pregnant in this country um, It also has a global impact i think if you look at the map of uh, abortion laws around the world um, this puts us in a, an unfortunate uh group of countries and group of laws. Um, and I think the, the the thing that I don't think people are talking about as much is that this will also have an impact on other types of uh, reproductive health services um, because it will eliminate a big piece of um, the work that um, health centers do and have an impact on their ability to do other work because of um, because of business models, and so um, while wealthy and middle middle class and wealthy uh, people who become pregnant will still be able to get abortion services because they'll be able to you know get off work, fly to a, fly or drive to a place that, uh, to a state that has uh, legal abortion the people who are in rural areas and poor and and in many cases uh people of color are going to be have their services much more restricted and face the possibility of you know illegal back alley or abortions uh self self-provided abortions which are very dangerous and uh and and a scary thought for those of us who uh came up before abortion was legal like me um so it's a it's a it's a devastating blow to uh bodily autonomy and uh women's rights and human rights and I'm sure we'll talk about this too it sounds like they uh, the the conservative rights has a lot of other things on their minds. In, in addition to this, we've seen this week talk about limiting birth control, um, some even uh, discussion of uh, marriage equality and um, you know limiting birth control to married couples. So there's um, there's a lot more to this than just stopping legal abortion.
3: Yeah, I mean,
1: I think there's obviously, you know, so much speculation through this uh, and probably wise speculation because of the first step, I guess, was about a week or two ago. And I know we texted about it when it was put out that John Roberts was not going to write the majority opinion. People are like, well, that means that the Chief Justice is in the minority. They start looking where he fits, and they probably think this could be happening. Then this um, brief gets leaked and then of course we don't know you know exactly uh which justice sides where but i think of course with samuel Alito it being a leaked opinion of his, and um i think amy coney barrett there's some language from her so people are assuming that she's also in the majority of opinion of this brief that we at least know where those two justices lie i guess three counting roberts so you know at this point we're still in a lot of speculation and the actual um uh ruling is not expected till uh june, correct, Catherine?
2: Yeah, late june, july, early july. But I think we're expecting it in june.
1: Yeah, and so I guess I mean theoretically there's a chance that something could change or what have you um but but I, I just it seems doubtful to me. Uh Tim, your take on what's transpired so far?
0: Well, well, um, first of all you mentioned the leak. That's such a rare occurrence and it's almost never seen in a you know, a case as important as this. Um the Chief Justice Roberts directed the marshal of the court to begin an investigation into who uh leaked the draft opinion. And uh there's probably about 50 people all that might have access to this draft opinion. So there, there's some curiosity out there about who this might be. Um, so the Republicans are trying to make it the issue, although it's not the main issue. Of course, the fact that uh, this is going to be done is the main issue. I saw Jeffrey Tubin. um, and it was an interview conducted with him um, almost five years ago, and on that interview, somebody asked him about Roe v. Wade, and he said, "Well, you know, it's dead." He said the election of Donald Trump ensured that, and 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 I guess it did. He got to put three justices on the court. I was thinking this thing's probably going to be a 5-4 decision. It'll be Alito, Thomas, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Barrett that'll vote yay, and uh, Roberts, uh, uh, Sotomayor, Kagan, and, and Breyer will be will be no votes. Um, this opinion's going to, I guess, return the decision to the states, uh, and, and the state legislatures now will decide... Uh, which states it'll be legal in, and which states it, it won't. But um, my thing uh, is that you know the American people are not for this, and they don't they don't seem to care about that in the Supreme Court. Um, and uh, it, it's just it's just a, a really sad thing, and you got to wonder, you know, wh- where. Where does this go now? It's not going to stop with with abortion, I don't think. Uh, do y'all? I, I, don't,
1: I don't know. There's at. so many different angles of this. What rulings might come next? Uh, the politics of it, because I mean, it is going to have major political implications. Um, but just you know, this particular ruling, I, I was uh, reading online, uh, like on Twitter and things. People tell an anecdotal. Um, things that were very medical I I mean they were I I know there's just one you know frame that gets cast but there's a lot of people where you know it was a married couple and they wanted to have a child and then some medical issue would happen and um, you know it would just be the right decision to avoid a stillbirth or something to you know choose that And, And it's just a lot of that kind of information I don't think really gets out a lot of times, you know, about how it actually impacts. And another thing I think that's important for people to keep in mind is, you know, I think a people think, oh, well, our society's moving in this, you know, linear direction towards more openness or what have you. Well, actually, abortions, 79 and 80, 1979 and 80 were the two highest years. Um, no, I'm sorry, 80 it was 80, 80, and 81. It was one term of uh, one year of Carter presidency.
2: One of Reagan's presidency.
1: And then from there, it's dropped every year and it keeps dropping. And I'm sure there's a myriad of reasons for that, but it's really, you know, kind of, you know, try the Clinton presidency, which he wanted to keep it safe, legal, and rare. It actually dropped and it's continued to drop for years. So if there's actually less abortions, Catherine, why is this such a big thing that these conservatives had to change if it was going down naturally anyway?
2: Well, I mean I think we have to, you know, it's, I mean it's a it's a it's a very long, big it's a very big discussion, but I think there's uh I mean it's my belief that this re- really isn't about abortion, it's about um controlling women women's lives and having uh power over them and uh and I I think that's it's more about that. that's why we are now hearing about limiting birth control and um you know back to uh i mean in in the early sixties, women couldn't get birth control unless they were married, and they had to have permission from their husband to get it um and, and that was in my lifetime so um but the other thing Tim makes a really good point and that that I didn't mention is that uh. Abortion is uh, approved by about 70% of American people, American people that believe that abortion should be legal. Some people think it should be legal, you know, in a shorter term, you know, earlier or later, you know, but it's about 70% of the people think it should remain legal in some fashion. So the, the people who are, Opposed to abortion are a very small Minority but they have a very Loud voice And they um, Have managed to get Elected or get other people elected To support their beliefs And uh, it's really A terrible um, Story About You know what about the majority Needs versus minority want. Um and i i don't really i mean i you know there's a lot of people talking about how to um what will happen after like post row, what it looks like and how we may make sure that uh women and people who need, who can get pregnant have access to a to abortion care outside of if they live in a state where it's illegal um And there's like 23 states right now that have what we call trigger laws that um, automatically, as soon as Roe is overturned, abortion becomes illegal pretty much immediately upon that decision in in about 23 states. And then there's other states that are likely to pass those trigger laws as soon as their legislatures come back into, you know, as soon as their legislatures have time.
1: Yes, now one thing that I thought was kind of telling is that typically when there's a you know, major Supreme Court ruling, one side's outraged and one side's overjoyed. And in this case, one side was outraged the people in favor of keeping Roe v. Wade as it is, but there was no real joy other than maybe, you know, true people that were committed to justice cause. But in the whole of the Republican And conservative movement, there didn't seem to be that much, you know, elation and celebration. It was, you know, once again, more about the leak. And to me, I think that's kind of telling that this may not have been a major issue for your rank-and-file Republican. I think they care far more about tax cuts, and if something gets in the way of more tax cuts, that's a problem. Tim, did you kind of notice that dynamic
0: I did, but I thought it might have been for a different reason. I think they're 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 delighted that it happened most of them. What they're worried about is the timing. We've got something called the midterm elections coming up shortly. Uh the Republicans were poised to win a huge victory from everything I was seeing at least in the fall which would have given them total control of the Congress, uh, which would have set them up to then recapture the presidency and total control of the government again in 2024. They don't want anything to upset that apple cart. Uh, You know, you heard Catherine say that 70% of the American people do not want Roe v. Wade overturned. Uh, They want it to remain. And the number of those who... who uh, want it gone are are, are in the twenties and uh they you know, they do not want to get Democrats energized. Well, if anything's gonna energize Democratic voters and in particular, uh, uh democratic and independent uh female voters, boy, here's the issue right here. And so I think they're a little apprehensive about this. But that's, that's, that's just what
1: I think is going on. With oh, them. They're not they going to they're, they're not, not to tax tax cuts. Cuts. Yeah, I, I agree well, yeah. With you. They want to keep the power, but they want the power so they can do economic arguments. Um, because that's what I think. Um, they're, they're organizing principles of party. It's tax cuts. Um, um you know, I, and, and, and so I think there are some committed social conservatives, but I think they're a, uh, a minority in that party. Um, but let's get into the – They're a little bit like the yeah. dog
2: that caught the car.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. I saw that cartoon too. <laughs> yeah, they, what, do they, what do they do with it? Um, yeah.
2: And, and let's talk because about I the Because, I mean, this has also been – it's also been their number one fundraising strategy for decades, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they've been raising money on – Stopping abortion forever. Lose that and lose all the – there's a lot of single-issue voters uh, when it comes to abortion on both sides. And once they lose them, they may not be interested in voting anymore now. This was the issue yeah. for, for a lot of people.
1: To me, I mean, this would be like if, if the Democrats achieved – single payer health care and it wouldn't get taken away for the next 20 years, which means people would get used to it and probably like it, and then it would become like Social Security. This would be, you know, you would think the same kind of victory, but you're just not seeing that same kind of elation um, on that side. Well, let's get into the political implications real quickly um, as much as we can. And there's some polling that's come out. Obviously, the polling on the single issue. It's very much in Democrats' favor, progressives' favor, people that support reproductive choices' favor. But the big question is, is how is the energizing, how is the um, actual voting on the issue going to happen? And that polling has been a little less conclusive at this point. Now, there's going to be more polling, and that's going to help us. Um, But, you know, I I see a lot of folks that are very energized – But a lot of them, I mean, when I see the interviews, they look like the kind of folks that probably vote in the runoff for the county commission election in the summer. You know, they're all the time turning out anyway. So Tim or Catherine, if one of y'all have some numbers, as far as the energizing, how can we tell where it's not just going to get the people that always vote to vote with more passion, which still counts the same, but actually get people that don't turn out as much – to vote like it is a presidential year.
2: I don't Hmm. have any numbers, but I I think it's going to energize voters. The
0: the numbers I have are are before um, this leak, and Republicans were uh, more enthusiastic about voting by something like 17 points. That's a lot. And uh, just just another one of the signs that Democrats were about to take a pasting. Parties in power become complacent. Parties out of power, um, you know, they 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 vote because they want power themselves. Uh, barring barring any issue, well, they, they thought their issue was there—the economy—and now this, I've just not seen polling to show me where the numbers are moving yet.
1: Yeah, and it is early. I mean, I think you have to wait for the actual ruling, and then you see some more numbers. Well, let's welcome into the Kudzu Vine, for the first time, our guest this evening, Simon Bazelon. Welcome, Simon. Thank you. Happy to be here. Oh, glad to have you. Now, Simon, since you haven't been on the show before, I know that you – I want to call it a blog, but Substack's its own thing. I know you have your own Substack, but tell us anything you want to tell us about your background in particular related to politics.
3: Yeah, so, you know, I've been working for the last uh, year and a half uh, in political consulting. Uh, I work for a firm known as Blue Rose Research, um, uh, and I also am an advisor at the uh, Democratic polling firm Data for Progress, um, or the progressive polling firm Data for Progress, I should say. Uh, Yeah, I've been writing about politics for a while. Um, I started a substack called Out of the Ordinary about a month and a half ago, uh, and I'm a contributor at Slow Boring, uh, which is Matt Iglesias' substack, if folks are familiar. Uh, Matt Iglesias co-founded Vox, uh, and I've written with him on, on his platform as well. Yes. Um, very. I guess it's one of the highest-rated
1: substats, but that took me to yours, which has some great articles as well. And I'm going to start off there. Um, we've heard a lot about the term popularism. Um, I believe the person that coined the, um, the phrase has been a guest on our show, but I don't want to give him false credit. Um, but then you talk about popularism, but then you also mention a term longerism. Or longer term, long termism. That's just quite a mouthful. Sure. Yeah. So I want you to tell us, yeah. you know, about the the seed theory, and then get into your thoughts on your terminology.
3: Yeah. So I think there's two pretty distinct concepts. You know, I'm interested. I have a political background, but I also have a philosophy background. Um, this shows mostly about politics, so I'm happy to to focus more on the, the politics side of my writing. Um, when it comes to popularism, you know. Uh, I work with a bunch of people uh, who are sort of, you know, Matt Iglesias is one of the people who has sort of pushed this term, um, and we're really focused on the idea that, you know, it's important for the Democratic Party to win elections uh, and that in order for the Democratic Party to win elections, uh, the party needs to focus its agenda uh, more, more, needs to center, you know, uh, popular policies that appeal to, you know, the median voter, uh, which, you know, the median voter in this country didn't go to college um, and is over the age of 50, Uh, And so they don't often – or they often don't share uh, the same views as, you know, the college-educated people who run the Democratic Party. Uh, And so we've been trying to sort of push uh, Democrats to reorient uh, the Democratic platform around issues that can appeal to these voters as well. Yes. Now,
1: that's that's popularism. Now, your term, Mm -hmm.
3: longer-termism, how how does that differ? Sure. So long-termism is like a pretty different – uh, non-political uh, conception you know there's a there's a whole group of people who have a philosophy i 'm sort of a part of this um, that you know it's really important to prioritize the long term future um, above other more contemporary concerns you know uh, you know if you think about it, human history uh, has humans have been around for many thousands of years, but we could be around for many many more thousands of years, uh, and most of the people who will ever live are probably in the future uh, and so there, you, can, you can get to this sort of idea that we have a really strong moral obligation to prioritize the future above, above all else. I will say that I think long-termism uh, has you know, more nebulous uh, implications for American politics. I mean it, it, it's not an ideology that's affiliated with any specific party, um, but yeah. Yeah, well, I mean
1: we're not afraid to talk about that kind of long-term philosophical stuff. Um, we had sure. um, Ron Hedrick on the show a few weeks ago, The Demographic Drought. And, and all that research mm-hmm. about how demographics are changing around the world And obviously, you know, people think about gas prices And those are going to change, you know, every other day in some way In long term, every few months mm-hmm. um, But, but mm-hmm. then, you know, things like that are going to affect everywhere on the planet Whether you're Democrat, Republican, whatever race, whatever gender It's going to, you know, affect you Global warming, that's going to affect you So, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I, I can see where that's, you know, where the foundation for this is Right,
3: exactly, yeah, I think like climate change is a perfect example of uh, something that affects people now and we've seen the devastating effects of climate change, wildfires, you know, droughts, uh, but also something that will affect future generations. Uh, And the fact that it affects future generations uh, is a really big reason to prioritize uh, things like climate change. You know, another issue that I personally care a lot about, I work for uh, some various advocacy organizations uh, that do advocacy around this, uh, is something like pandemic prevention. You know, COVID was really devastating, Uh, and we weren't prepared for it adequately. Uh, and it's important to, you know, we haven't invested properly in preventing the next pandemic. Uh, and that's something that I, I feel strongly about as well. Yes, sir. Well, I'm going to
1: pass this over to Tim and then Catherine for some questions. And then if they forgot anything, I may come back with something else, Tim.
0: Uh, good evening, sir. Thank you for being with us tonight. you once wrote that the most popular politicians are, are moderates, and, and I can see that, uh, especially when we're talking about those who uh, get elected on a statewide basis, like governors and senators, and you, you provided the proof, uh, the polling proof of it. But uh, mostly because of gerrymandering, I suppose, There is simply no way that that is ever going to be true uh, in more regional jobs like the U.S. House and state legislative jobs, right? There's no way that you're going to see a preponderance of moderates in those jobs because, because of the nature of the beast of redistricting. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I think there's a lot that's right there. So I would like to. I, I think it's useful to disentangle a couple of concepts here. Um, so one is like mm-hmm. you know, absolute popularity, and I talk about this in my piece on this. You know, you can look at you know how many voters approve or disapprove of a politician, um, but unless you're sort of correcting for the quote unquote partisan lean of the district, it's really hard to know whether or not someone's popular just because you know their district leans really strongly in one way or the other, or because they're actually doing a great job. You know, someone like Charlie Baker, who's the governor of Massachusetts, he has a 60% approval rating, but he's a Republican in a deep blue state. And so that's much more impressive Mm -hmm. uh, politically than having a 60% approval rating if you're the governor of Wyoming, uh, where 70% Mm -hmm. of people supported Donald Trump in the 2020 election. Um, And so I think that what I was trying to argue in the piece is that, you know, the implications of the fact that, you know, moderate politicians tend to, on the whole, uh, poll better and outperform uh, less moderate politicians, though this isn't necessarily always true. Uh, the implications are that in the, in the remaining few swing districts that we see in the House, uh, Democrats should be trying to run uh, politicians who appeal uh, to swing voters uh, and, and generally are fairly moderate. Mm-hmm. Now, uh,
0: another, another thing that you had talked about that caught my eye was, was that in both New York and New Jersey, Democrats drew congressional maps, like like Republicans do in Republican states, to get rid of Republican incumbents, basically, in favor of Democratic candidates. And it now appears, uh, as you laid out to us, that these maps are in jeopardy, being gone. But yet, in Florida, uh, Governor DeSantis did the same thing, essentially. He he, even got that power away from his own legislature, and he apparently has gotten away with it, and it looks like that Republicans may pick up five more seats in Florida. How did he succeed when Democrats in, in both New York and New Jersey failed?
3: Yeah, so I mean I'm not super familiar with the legal intricacies here. Um, I think like the main thing here is that the New York uh, State Appeals Court, which is the highest court in New York, uh, ruled in a 4-3 decision to – you know tossed out the democratic map while the florida courts have upheld mm-hmm. the republican map uh, a big part of that is that uh republicans have overwhelmingly appointed the justices who make up the florida supreme court uh so i think that that matters a lot you know justices often seem like they're apolitical but i think as we've seen with the supreme court recently um it's pretty hard to disentangle politics from the judiciary like that um so yeah mm-hmm. i think that would be that would be my answer. And and, and, I,
0: and I can't let you go without asking you a question that you kind of just segue into with me about the recent decision of the Supreme Court. Even with the abortion bombshell that's hit us, I was wondering your opinion on whether we are still looking at inflation as the chief issue in the midterms, or is this just – such a unique situation that we've been hit with that we really have no way of knowing where this election's
3: going to go now. Um, I think that the idea that we have no idea how the election is going to go is very wrong. Um, I think we have, you know, one of the most, the most common, you know, the closest thing to an iron rule in American politics is that the president's party loses ground in midterm elections. Um, right. I think the polling points towards this midterm going poorly for the Democratic Party. Um, I think like it's possible that on the state level that this, uh, you know, the Roe decision, the overturning of Roe, makes a difference um, in some states. Uh, but I think on the whole, you know, we should probably still expect Democrats to lose control of both houses of Congress uh, because you know Democrats have very narrow margins and midterms traditionally go very poorly for the Democrat, for the President's mm-hmm. party. No. Yeah, so you would expect the enthusiasm
0: gap that that we've been seeing in the polling uh, to pretty much hold up with Republicans being much more enthusiastic about
3: voting as parties out of power generally are then? I think largely yes. I mean, I think, like, you know, that could change. Obviously, politics is very uncertain. Um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. hard, it's hard to make predictions, especially about the future. I think it's the famous quote. Um, but, you know, I think the fact that <laughs> Democrats, you know, have a one seat – have have zero margin for error in the Senate, and essentially zero margin for error in the House um, means that you know you know, we we will likely see Democrats lose both houses of Congress. Yeah, and 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 uh, I I agree
0: with you on that. That's that's a very good analysis, sir. And with that, I'm going to pass it
2: over to Catherine. Catherine. Hello. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. It's great. Always great to have someone new, a new voice. And we appreciate the work that you do. I had a chance to look at your sub and read some of what you've written. And I have to say that the headline <laughs> on your piece on Sonia Sotomayor was really shocked me. I'm like, oh, my God, what is he talking about? But I I kind of got your point about her uh, resigning and how important that might be for the future But what it brought up for me was uh, this question that, you know, everyone's been talking, well, not everyone, but everyone in my circle, I live in a bubble, um, about expanding the court. Do you think that uh, what's the likelihood of Sonia Sotomayor retiring versus uh, the president trying to expand the court?
3: So I think that you know I think it's quite unlikely that Sotomayor uh, does decide to retire. Uh, for for your listeners who haven't read this piece, for folks who haven't read the piece, uh, the argument that I basically laid out was that you know uh, Sotomayor is 68 years old um, and you know has had some health issues in the past, and so we would there's there's a decent likelihood. You no, know, it's it's sad to consider, but a decent likelihood uh, that she passes away within the next 10 to 15 years, uh, and there's a decent likelihood that within the next 10 to 15 years, Republicans. Uh, have solid control over the Senate. And so it's possible that, you know, her not retiring uh, before January when Democrats may well lose control of the Senate will end up costing uh, the Democratic Party or the liberal wing of the Supreme Court a seat, which could be it could be devastating for lots of liberal causes. Um, I think as far as court expansion goes, you know, Joe Manchin is a member of the U.S. Senate and has no interest in court expansion. Uh, I think that there's a, essentially a 0% chance that we see court expansion uh, in the next year. Um, yeah. That would be my.
2: Okay. <laughs> so we're screwed, basically. <laughs> Those <laughs> of us on, the the liberals are screwed, I guess. Yeah, I mean I don't and think we
3: should I think we should probably not expect to see a liberal Supreme Court majority for the next, you know, thirty to fifty years.
2: Ooh. Mm. Uh, that just like makes me so sad. Um and so back to back to what we were, Tim was asking about enthusiasm around the voter enthusiasm and whether um, this – what looks like the decision on uh, J. Woe versus Dobbs, what looks like the decision. I think we're all pretty sure of it. We've all been sort of expecting it anyway. Um, you don't think that that's going to uh, – lighting some lights and fires under some uh voters especially in the congressional and senate races uh not so much if they're for governors that are running i i don't think um but i think state legislatures to some extent you don't see a uh a, a lighting of fires under some of us liberals on that
3: um i mean i think like you know it's obviously many people will be, have fires lit under them. I think like, you know, also some people on the, on the right, on the right, will have, you know, a fire lit under them. Uh, the question is sort of the net effect of the decision. Um, I think like one useful thing to do here is like, if you look at, you know, uh, betting markets, which have historically been quite accurate at predicting elections, um, you know, most of the major betting markets after the Roe news came out uh, basically saw like roughly a 3% decline in uh, the likelihood that, you know, bettors have uh, that Democrats would, uh, lose uh, both houses of congress um, like that's like not a very large dec- decrease. It's like somewhat meaningful um, you know I think like any amount of probability is is important to consider in politics, but um, I don't think that you know I think that most I, I don't think that we should see the roe news as like essentially like game changing uh, for the political calculations in November um,
2: okay. I guess we can agree to disagree um, I'm going to pass it to David Thanks so much
1: Yes well uh, Simon let's uh, Talk about the article that was On slow and boring um, just about A month ago and I will let you mm-hmm. Tell listeners it was a month ago So things happened in a month's time But it was Democrats are sleepwalking Into a Senate disaster So obviously There are key races In the map they're going to decide this thing, so I just want to take you through two to three, you know maybe four key races to see where this is going. so let 's start off with mm-hmm. the two senators that just won their election um, in 2020, and since they were special elections, they had to run right again. Mark Kelly, mm-hmm. a former uh, astronaut, very well liked, very well respected as a person, I think, across the political aisle as far as the voters of Arizona. Um, he's running for reelection, and of course, even though Arizona is moving slowly left, the Republican Party seems like they're trying to go as fast right down into the Grand Canyon as they can with um, some really
3: outlandish characters. So you see Mark Kelly losing in Arizona. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the national environment is just going to be really hard for Democrats to overcome. I mean, I don't think Mark Kelly is guaranteed to lose. Um, I wouldn't say that. I think, again, you know, politics is uncertain. Um, I think I'd probably say that Mark Kelly has something like a 30% chance of winning, uh, maybe a 25% chance of winning, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, But, you know, I think the the, the easiest way to look at this is, you know, uh, in 2020, Mark Kelly won by about 2.5% in the state of Arizona, while Joe Biden won the national popular vote by around 4.5%. Um, and, you know, looking ahead to 2022, I think, you know, the most likely outcome is that Republicans uh, win the so-called national environment uh, by around 4 to 5%. Um, and so that's roughly a 9% swing to the right um, of, you know, this national environment. And so if Kelly won by 2% uh, in 2020, then you'd probably expect him, you know, as an incumbent to, you know, Lose by around five or six percent uh, in 2022. Um, I think like you know that's not guaranteed. He's had really really good fundraising numbers, so I think he'll probably lose by somewhat less than that. But you know I think your 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 baseline assumption should be that yeah he is headed toward a loss.
1: Okay, well let's go to the next race like that, um, and we actually had a poll number that came out about a week ago from Survey USA that showed that uh, Raphael Warnock had a ten point lead on. Um, Herschel Walker. And that, at the same time, Brian Kemp had a 10-point lead on Stacey Abrams, so it showed the possible existence of um, ticket splitters. So Raphael mm-hmm. Warnock, once again, uh, running some very moderate middle-of-the-road kitchen table issue ads. Herschel Walker knows you know, less than the kid that flunked um, U.S. government about the U.S. Constitution and other things. Does Raphael Warnock
3: lose? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, you know, again, uh, I'm not going to say one way or the other whether or not Raphael Molenock is going to win. I think he's probably favored to lose. Um, Probably he has a better chance of winning than Mark Kelly by some somewhat. I don't know. I think it's going to be a pretty close race either way. And Herschel Walker seems like a uniquely bad candidate uh, for the Republicans to put forward. Um, But I think, like, overall, again, I think you're going to see the national environment just be really, really difficult uh, for Democrats to overcome. Um, in 2022
1: okay, So, so you, you, you've pretty much taken care of it Democrats lose those two races Then majority's gone Even if this next race that I'm going to ask you about flips And, and that would be the most vulnerable Republican seat The open seat in Pennsylvania um, Democrats mm-hmm. are look like they're going to nominate John Fetterman Who let's just say is a different kind of political candidate um, mm-hmm. the, just a very unique individual, and I think that's in a good way. Um, you know, he's been lieutenant governor, and he's just i, mean, I he's Yeah, a I'm very pro-John Fetterman. Of the I would like, I would like and to, the Republicans yeah, are I would love, love to, to see. be kind of divided between yeah, Dr. I
3: or – yes. I, I was just going to say that. I w- I, I'm a big fan of John Fetterman. I would love to see the Democratic Party run more candidates like John Fetterman. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, again um, – I think, like, if you look at the track record of, you know, uh, the president's party uh, trying to take seats in the Senate uh, from, you know, that are held by the other party during a midterm, uh, it's incredibly poor. Uh, it's actually happened only, like, a handful of times in the last couple decades ever uh, that the president's party has gained a seat uh, held by the other party uh, in a midterm in the Senate election. Um, and so, you know, I think we're – it's unlikely to happen in Pennsylvania, but, again, you know, possible. Okay, so
1: um, so even if it's Dr. Oz or the other gentleman or the oh, there's a third candidate running, it, it doesn't matter. Fetterman goes in as the underdog, correct? Yeah, I would say that's that's, 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 that's
3: Okay.
1: Hey, I'll say this, Simon. Your math checks out. You know, it may be like, huh, on the answer, but then when we went through the step-by-step, your math checked out. It, it, it matched what you're saying there. Well, um, well, Simon, before we uh, let's go, go ahead and tell us um, and tell our listeners, more importantly, where they can get your Substack and if they can, you know, follow you on social media or any way they can read more about your political writings.
3: Yeah, you know, um, so you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Simon Bazelon, uh, S-I-M-O-N underscore uh, B-A-Z-E-L-O-N uh, at Simon Bazelon, um, and then you can subscribe to my Substack, which is called Out of the Ordinary. Uh, you can find that on Google if you search out of the ordinary Substack or my name. Um, and yeah, I, I look, f- I'm, it was a pleasure talking to you today. Um, you know, always happy to talk about politics anytime. Um, and so, you know, I hope, I hope folks subscribe and I hope folks continue to read my work. Yes, sir.
1: Well, thank, thank you, thank you, so you much. for coming on and joining us, Tom. Thank you, sir.
3: You're more than, you're, you're very, you're very welcome. I hope, I hope you all have a great rest of your day. You too. You too. All right.
1: All, right. all right. That was Simon Bazelon, um, sub writer. I mean, slow, boring, you can read. Um, out of the Ordinary is his, um, and he actually produces more work there. Follow him online, on Twitter, to other places. Um, very well thought out in what he says. Now, obviously, he didn't cheer us up, did he?
2: No, <laughs> no. he did not.
1: <laughs> not at all. <laughs> No, I just I, part of me just wants to believe that when you run an astronaut, a Baptist minister, and a guy that looks like he could win the U.S. Senate battle royal, um, that you could go three for three on those races and save the Senate. I guess I'll hold that hope. But
0: but but, <laughs> but 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 you know I see what he's saying. He's predicting a national wave, a landslide, and landslides don't stop at state lines. That's, that's what he's predicting. And that's not a,
1: yeah. a, a bad prediction
0: in this environment right
1: now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think right. it, if it's vanilla cu- cardboard cutouts, and we've seen some of those candidates, um, we've probably voted for some of those candidates that are just some face on TV. I completely agree. But, but I mean, in those three gentlemen, you've got top-shelf, unique candidates. And two to three of them are going to run against some really flawed Republicans, um, and so you, you know that's uh, something yeah, well, to think about as well. Know, so
0: it we might be see. one of those deals where, but it might be one of
1: those deals where we
0: can't win, but but in some races they can blow it. We've seen
1: that. Before. That. That's true. yeah. That's what that's what I'm wondering. Well, let's get even though we had that major discussion that I have a feeling we're going to be talking about. Often on all summer into the fall But let's, t- let's take a chance to talk about another Senate race And really the bigger implications of it And that is in the Ohio primary J.D. Vance won the nomination With one of the smallest percentages of the vote I've ever seen um, And that's not to take away the victory from him That's just to say while runoffs kind of suck, letting somebody win with like thirty percent of the vote seems kind of weird too. Um, Catherine, what were your thoughts on just first off a nominee for a party winning the nomination with just right over thirty percent of the vote?
2: Well, it's pretty shocking, isn't it? Uh, you just, it, I mean, it's just, and they don't have they don't have runoffs, right? So. He's the, no. the nominee and and uh i mean it just shows you that um voting is important like your vote does matter, and uh we need to i, I mean I, I don't know what to say i yeah i don't, i don't know the bad because i do know the i
1: don't know what the, i don't know, the know what
2: the i don't know what the solution to something like that is like um You know, there's really no way around it. Anybody can, people can run if they want to, and
1: yeah. So if you have a lot of candidates, yeah. If 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 no candidate fails to get forty percent, or that's another case for um, valid, you know, rank choice voting. Because then if you do ranked choice yeah. voting, somebody can start out for 30, and then as you go through the rankings, somebody can eventually get to 50, with everybody showing up one time and only spending money on one set of political ads. Um, and, and so I think that's a, this that race is a great um, case for ranked choice voting. Um, Tim, your thoughts on just the you know the weird system Ohio is using?
0: Well, I mean, that, that that's what they do up there. Um, and you you were talking about somebody barely winning with 30% of the vote. Well, that's very possible when you got seven candidates in the race like you did this time, and three of them are considered major players, guys that are going to get on up in the double digits. You can see where it's darn near impossible for anyone to get a, a majority of the vote and probably not 40% of the vote. And he didn't this time. He won the race with like I believe thirty two point three percent of the vote. Um, and and then I'm I'm sure we're going to get into the reasons why this happened. But uh, Ohio just has one of those
1: weird things. Yeah. Well, now let, let let's get into that. Um, J D. Vance is a a person that in twenty four twenty sixteen was a Never Trump Republican. That spoke out about Donald Trump, admitted that he didn't vote for him in 2016, um, of course wrote the book, Hillbilly Elegy, got made into a movie. It can be a good, informative book, and he can still be a bad political candidate. Two things can be true at the same time. Um, But he completely changed who he was to court the Trump vote, and in the end, he – courted the most important Trump vote, Donald Trump himself. Now, Donald Trump didn't vote for him because he's not a host citizen. He And even though people like the Club for Growth attacked that because they were supporting Josh Mandel, it didn't matter because in the end, Donald Trump proved that he's the most important person in today's Republican Party again. At least that's the takeaway for some people. Uh, Catherine, what's your thought? Is that your takeaway with that um, endorsement leading yeah, to a really come from a hot
2: wind. Yeah, that's my takeaway because they didn't even um, take into account his former um, you know outspoken uh, opinions about Trump. As soon as Trump endorsed him he was you know, good as gold up there. So it's a little bit surprising that people don't do any like you know don't reflect at all on a candidates prior you know opinions and values and uh, things that they have said so
1: yeah I mean it's just such a curious case there I mean you had um, other candidates um uh, Josh Mandel and Mike Gibbons, who were definitely more Trump-like from start to finish um, and going into this race than J.D. Vance was. Kim, um, what do you think this race means for Donald Trump's control of Ohio Republican Party and Republican parties, you know, other places? Well, three weeks
0: ago, J.D. Vance was in low double digits, and mired in third place in the race. Then he got the coveted Trump endorsement, and that was enough to propel him to a fairly easy win uh, by almost nine points, as a matter of fact. When you have that many candidates in a race like you did in Ohio, and and that's going to happen in some other states too, Donald Trump appears to still have enough clout in statewide primaries To be a difference maker That might be where we're looking At a difference in a state like Ohio and a state like Georgia it, it take, uh, Put aside the fact that one state Is trending one way and one State is trending the other We're talking about primaries here uh, That race had Seven candidates Uh there's been much made of the fact that david purdue is is not doing well down here even though he is a candidate that is being pushed hard by donald trump and donald trump hates brian kemp probably more than any republican governor in this country i would say it'd be safe to say that but it appears that kemp is going to win very easily and i think the difference is we're going to put candace Taylor to the side because she's a candidate that's probably going to get three or four percent of the vote. So we're basically talking about a two-person race. So we have to ask ourselves, David, can Donald Trump still make the difference in a race between two strong candidates, especially when one of them is a popular incumbent governor in his own party? And it looks to me like the answer there is going to be no. So you may have – you may see Trump's popularity waning some uh, because I would think that when Donald Trump was president, if he had made such an endorsement that David Perdue would, would have been dancing in the aisles with it and on his way uh, to winning that primary. But that's just my take on it. I think Donald Trump is still – the central figure in the party, still the strongest uh, person in the Republican Party. I still think it's largely his party. I just don't think he's quite as strong as he was a couple of years ago.
1: Yeah, I I still want to talk more about Ohio, but you you brought it into Georgia. And I'll tell you this, six, seven days ago, I'd say there's just no way – you know, I just – the numbers just look like somehow Brian Kemp's going to avoid a runoff. I'm just wondering, pollsters are still having a problem identifying these Trump-like voters that, you know, used to not be voters and now come out for Donald Trump. And if they're not identifying these people. There's not enough of them in Georgia to, you know, push David Perdue into a win. But could it push Brian Kemp down to – 48.5%, 49.2%. Yes. Maybe. I mean, I, this race and this result makes me think maybe it's possible. Yeah. And David Perdue's not run a very good campaign. And, Tim, mm-hmm. you mentioned yes. Candace Taylor. And I thought it was very right. interesting. You know, she had her big announcement on Monday.
0: <laughs> and I think this Rose <laughs> decision,
1: uh, this brief coming out, hurt her because – as crazy as that video was, and if you have not seen the video, um, I'll try to give you the, the ten-second version so you don't have to watch it. She has identified some type of stone structure that's put and put up into Elberton, Georgia, in Elbert County. But it's a private thing. It's the Elbert County government didn't put it up. The city of Elberton didn't put it up, and it has like all this futuristic writing. I mean, it, it looks strange. As far as what's on it, I mean, it just, you know, I, I don't want to compare to anything because, you know, I haven't seen the thing. I had not read the thing, but the pieces I saw about it are, are odd, but it's a private structure. It's not anything that any government had anything to do with, but her campaign, her executive order, number 10, I, I missed the first nine. Um, she wants to tear the thing down to to save Georgia from vaccines and all kind of other stuff that I don't know how related to this stone structure. Um, but that's her big announcement. And as goofy as that is, I think there might have been some people, if they heard about that, they might say, decide that is an exciting brand of goofy. And they could have voted for her in bigger numbers than expected. And, of course, enough of those votes might have come from Brian Kemp somehow. And once again, hurt his chances of avoiding a runoff. But because of the Supreme Court um, brief being leaked, it sucked so much more attention that that you know goofy road trip would have ever gotten out of things. Catherine, did you see the video that Candace Taylor put out on Monday morning? I did.
2: I did not. I did not see the video, but I read about it. It's crazy. But we all knew she was crazy. <laughs> I mean, th- this is not the first thing she's done that's been a little nutty. Um and but I have to say that, you know, I was right there with y'all about um Purdue and his chances until these numbers came out, until this until the Ohio election happened and I I think David, you might be onto something that they're just n- not catching these um Trump voters. And um, so I, I, I say all bets are off on the whether it's going to be a runoff or not,
1: or no, whether I mean we just don't know out, outright. It, it, and you know, Simon mentioned the political betting markets. You better be real sure because <laughs> that's some unpredictable stuff um, if you're placing your money on. Tim, now I know you don't typically eat popcorn in the morning, but I heard Monday morning you popped you some popcorn for that big nine o'clock video. Uh, what did you think of um Candace Taylor's road trip?
0: Well, it was uh
1: it was as bad
0: as I had hoped it would be. Let let let's put it that way. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty off the wall there, buddy. And the thing about Candace Taylor, she's been running 3 to 7% in the polls consistently. I, I'm looking at her to get somewhere in the 3 to 4% range. I will say this. I believe that practically every vote she's going to get was also a Donald Trump voter. So I believe she is hurting one candidate and one candidate only, and that is David Perdue. I do not think there's going to be a runoff. I I, I, it looks to me like Kemp might be pulling away a little bit according to some very recent polling. And uh, it, I believe Purdue possibly would have a little bit better chance, to run a little bit better without Candace Taylor in the race because I believe every vote she's getting is votes he would have gotten if they would have voted in a two-person race. But I just – I just I don't see it. I I don't see this surge. I I know that thing about the Fulton Republican Party and them standing up and cheering and this and that and the other. Uh, that don't mean a lot, though. Guys in the, in in the middle of the most I guess the second most Democratic county in the state of Georgia. So uh, I just uh, I don't I don't I don't see it. I I don't. I, I don't think that polls are missing anything. That's that's where I'm going to stand.
1: Yeah, it, it, it's kind of <laughs> like – I have the feeling if we had no numbers on this thing that we would all three be thinking that David Perdue had this incredible shot. It may be even the favorite to push it to a runoff because if you look at what he's running on and what the Republican base seems to want, it seems to match up. But then the numbers – Just the poll numbers we've got just aren't there. Um, And Mm -hmm. so, you know, we'll just see. I mean, and maybe once again, we'll get some more poll numbers. I wouldn't think that the the leaked brief would really impact the um, governor's race that much as far as the primary. Now, I think it may have implications for the general, and we'll have plenty of time to talk about that in the week. Yes. But, but yeah, but out on the primary, I don't think it's a big impact point. Um, but, and I'll t- one final thought, I'll say this, Taylor didn't want to join some of her um, brethren in the Congress and run against Sanford Bishop, you know, not that she would have this great shot there either, but, I mean, she w- seems like she could just fit right in with Margaret Taylor Green, Lauren Bober, possible <laughs> yeah. Sarah Palin, congressional term, I mean, like, Candace Taylor, you'd have your fourth member right there. Um, you know to hang out and <laughs> talk crazy. Um, well, Catherine, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you with a qu- and Tim, you can answer them too, cause we just need numbers. What percent of Georgians before Monday had heard about this stone structure in Elberton, Ka- uh, Catherine?
2: eight percent.
0: Eight percent. Okay, Tim. One 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 percent yeah
1: i'll say two um it's pretty (laughs) low now next question how many people in georgia will say percentage and you can use decimal points have ever laid eyes on this thing katherine
2: oh less than one (laughs) percent
1: tim well,
0: define eyes on if it's on video or on pictures no, no, we'll I've seen in that, that way. way. But, sucker. You know, yeah, but well, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I'm not going to go to in Georgia, to see the Stones. I'm just not. <laughs> it's, not
1: it's, it's not on my road trip list. <laughs> yeah. P- point. Zero one percent uh, less than I. <laughs> well, next week we're going to be excited to have another show for you. I want to thank Simon Basilton for com- uh, Basilin for coming on the show. Until next week, been the Cousy Vine. Good, Good
0: night, night
3: guys. Everybody. We are the heirs of that first
2: revolution with a strong and united.